Liquid History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is the show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes not so long ago. And boy, do we have updates. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're a few weeks behind. You know, it normally happens. You listeners Oops. put up with it all the time. We love you for it. Thank you. Um, but, you know, we did that recording where I mentioned that I've had like a, a growth in my throat. And when we did those recordings, my, I, I was very uh very bad by the end of them yeah so we haven't done one in a while but I'm, I'm feeling good and it's early in the morning instead of at night so let's let's see if we can get through this and also we are moving pretty uh pretty sporadically here <laughs> so if you hear any echo it's because our house is showing ready so yeah. basically it's empty it's em- it's very empty so there's probably going to be an echo that's going to be temporary yeah yeah, uh, yep. and because we were moving, we kicked up tons of dust. And so now I sound like I'm going to implode. Yeah, so we also haven't been able to record because you would just hear <laughs> just all the time from Kylie. Cause so you can totally sniff into gone. the microphone, but I can't. Only for example, <laughs> not for actual talking. No, do you want to hear the actual sniff? I don't think anyone does, but sure. God damn it. That's it. That's what I do. Yeah. Every th- like five seconds. <laughs> there was a point where it was more than that. It was like literally every breath was a sniff. So we didn't want to subject you to that. We're not that cruel. And I don't think that's anyone's ASMR. Yeah, I would, I would never, <laughs> ever exclude anything out. People like weird things. Don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but... Uh... That's a weird Whatever, one. we're not going there. Uh, anyways, we, <laughs> we cleaned the whole place. We threw out more than 10 bags of junk. Not even like trash, but like junk. <laughs> yeah, and you know, since we really haven't done like a deep clean like that before, all of the hair from our rabbit and dog in like the deep crevices of the house got lifted up into the air and Kylie's allergic to both of them. So she's been a mess the last week. It has not been fun. I have not enjoyed. But anyways, that's enough talking about that because it's time to get you guys an episode that you've been sorely uh, delayed from. And missing. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you're still with us. Is anyone listening? Hopefully you've been missing our voices. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone ever misses our voices, but maybe well, our topics. <laughs> At well, least not my voice. <laughs> I'm wishful thinking over here. It's fine. Okay. Are you guys ready? Because it's my week. I thought you were going to do the SpongeBob thing, and I was so ready to yell, aye, aye, Captain, into the microphone, but you didn't do it. <laughs> Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. I can't hear you. Aye, aye. We're going to get hit by the copyright lawsuit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done with this nonsense. So my my week is September 7th through 13th. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> and my topic is on September 12th of 1992. Kylie is dying over there. <laughs> mm. Ah, yeah. Uh, so my topic is on September 12th of 1992 when Mae Jemison is the first woman of color to go into space. Ooh. Yeah, I think I think I mentioned her on a fun fact this time last year. I think you probably did. Yeah, I I I think so. 
Um, but anyways, Mae Jemison was interested in science from a young age. She grew up when some of the first space missions were happening and had stated that while everyone else was excited, she couldn't help but be annoyed that there were no women going to space. Fair, girl. Yep. Fair. <laughs> Mood. So she started telling everyone that she wanted to be a scientist, and she had a lot of inspiration to do so as well. The interest in sciences, as it does for many of us nerdy types, ended up drawing her towards science fiction, and in the 60s, that meant Star Trek. Yes. So if for some reason any of our listeners are unaware, which I would be surprised given our (laughs) demographic, but Star Trek the original series was ahead of its time in having a very diverse cast, which included Nichelle, Nichelle Nichols playing Lieutenant Uhura, one of the first black women to ever portray a non-background role on television. Yeah, and wasn't the kiss between her and Captain Kirk like the first interracial kiss ever. on... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So groundbreaking in more ways than one, guys. Yeah. So more inspiration came to uh, Jemison in 1983 when NASA put both the first American woman and the first American black into space. They were Sally Ride and Guion Stewart Bluefer Jr., respectively, and I do believe that I also mentioned Guion Stewart, uh, Stewart Bluefort in a fun fact as well at w- one point. I feel like that's very possible. You really like space, yes. so I wouldn't be surprised. Yep. <laughs> so just three years later, she would apply for the astronaut program, but unfortunately was not accepted. Oh. Not due to her aptitude, though. She had a chemical engineering degree and medical and medical education from Cornell and worked for the Peace Corps, and also had a few other engineering disciplines that she had recently studied, but because the Challenger disaster happened in 1986. Ooh, yeah. So after that, NASA astronaut training and selection of new candidates was postponed for a year, where she would reapply and be accepted as one of 15 astronauts from a class of over 2,000 applicants. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of competition. Competitive. Yeah. So while working at NASA, she supported launches and worked on software up until she was selected for the mission specialist position on STS-47, which in itself was a milestone for human space travel, as it was the 50th in the space shuttle program. It was also the second of 25 missions that the space shuttle Endeavour would complete. Oh, nice. Yep. So as we recently saw with Robert Benkin and Douglas Hurley on the first of NASA's commercial crew program... Astronauts sometimes bring things with them to space, such as the toy (laughs) dragon that you saw floating around in the cockpit during launch. I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. For May, she brought a West African statuette and a picture of Bessie Coleman, who was the first black and Native American woman to earn a pilot's license, which I thought was really cool. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. Nice. uh, I don't know what the word is. I'm I'm lost, but I I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. Not coincidence, but like like nice pairing. Like, you know, she's the first black woman astronaut. And the picture she brought was the first black woman pilot. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. So the STS-47 mission was a joint effort between the U.S. and Japan. And I looked at its flight insignia and noticed that it had Japanese hiragana on it, spelling out the word fuwato on it. And I looked that up and it loosely means weightlessness or floating. Oh. Which was kind of neat. That seems apt. Yeah. So the STS-47's mission was about experimenting on life and materials while in microgravity and included experiments such as, and I quote from NASA.gov, material science investigations covering such fields as biotechnology, electronic materials, fluid dynamics, and transportation of phenomena, glasses and ceramics, metals and alloys, and acceleration measurements, life sciences including 
experiments on human health, cell separation biology, developmental biology, animal and human physiology and behavior, space radiation, and biological rhythms. Wow. Test subjects included the crew, Japanese koi fish, which are a type of carp, in case anybody didn't know that, um, cultured animal plant cells, animal and plant cells, not animal plant cells. (laughs) I was going to say, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Chicken embryos, fruit flies, fungi, and plant seeds, along with frogs and frog eggs. Oh, poor froggies. (laughs) Yep. So there there was lots of uh, life up up on that that mission. I like how the first experiment specimens were the crew the crew (laughs) oh boy (laughs) so jemison took part in the experiment with frog eggs as you know probably well as many of the other experiments but that was Mm -hmm. like one of the notable ones which involved getting female frogs to ovulate in space and then seeing how their tadpoles developed in those conditions oh i have no idea what the results were i couldn't oh (laughs) yeah i feel like that's probably like classified information or something like that i don't know or i just didn't dig deep enough but i tried that's true i mean that feels like it would be a very obscure bit of information so it would probably be difficult to find yeah and i mean you know it's a earlier space mission not not like an early i mean they, they had 50 beforehand but Early stuff was probably not well documented or yeah. well publicized, I should probably say. Yeah. So I wish I could find more information on what the tests were being done to the crew, but it was hard to find any information other than that official list that I just read, which is why I read an official list rather than like talking about it, because uh-huh. that's everywhere I looked, that's pretty much the information I could find. Th- on that. That's all someone wrote down. <laughs> yeah. So the most detail I could find about a specific experiment was about two experiments that were part of a contest from Ashford School, an all-British girls school in Kent, United Kingdom. They had submitted an experiment of growing crystal gardens in zero gravity, which did result in some unusual structures. And another about uh, Lysgang rings, which is a phenomenon that occurs when chemical systems undergo precipitate reactions, supposedly... The Crystal Garden experiment had 66 images taken, but I couldn't find any of them. Oh. Yeah. The closest I could get to an image was from the Ashford School's own paper magazine of what they expected the experiment to look like in microgravity. Hmm. Um, side note, the in the school's magazine, they apparently had a play the year before loosely about their chemical garden experiment, and it was called Superman in the Space Garden, <laughs> which prominently featured garden gnomes carrying signs like there's no space like gnome and it was super silly and hard to follow from the magazine but i bet it was funny and weird (laughs) that sounds freaking adorable is what it sounds like (laughs) yeah so they probably applied to get this experiment on the space shuttle like a year or two before that's so so cute (laughs) so yeah they made a play about it which little gnomes it it also had like their teachers and stuff like that so another side note while looking for these pictures i also found a mirror of an archive from the kennedy space center website that does have pictures of the STS-47 crew and some of their experiments. I'll probably get the link in the show notes. Please yell at me if I don't, if anyone (laughs) wants to go look. There's a few pictures of their training, some pictures from space of Earth, some some other experiments, some silly pictures of the crew, and plenty of pictures of mission specialist Jemison. Cool. One of the pictures was of possibly an experiment on herself pertaining to something named FTE, which stands for Autogenic Feedback Training Exercise. Looking that up, I found that it is a type of self-hypnosis using affirmation statements pertaining 
specifically to biological function and used mostly for relaxation. I guess it's just a really technical form of meditation, oh, I could guess. Oh, okay. Uh, and the focus is on individual body functions and Im- improving them or using them to improve your state of mind. So the core standard of exercises or affirmations, according to its creator, Johannes Heinrich Schultz, were, my right arm is heavy. My right arm is warm. My heartbeat is calm and regular. It breathes me. My solar plexus is warm and my forehead is cool. So you would just kind of keep repeating these things, trying to get a meditative response out of them, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, It seems that AFTE tends to work for the same things that meditation does, but other benefits are largely claimed in small studies. One claim was reducing wrinkles in aging women that have gone through menopause. Which is oddly specific, if you ask me. Yeah, it sounds like they had a very specific sample set. Yeah. Which means that it was probably an extremely small study. Yeah. So. So, since there isn't much more available on the experiments that took place on the mission, let's move on to post-mission. When Mae Jemison returned for her mission, she resigned from NASA, making the STS-47 the only mission that she flew. But that doesn't mean that her involvement with space or science stopped there. Jemison would go on to start a few different projects. She would go on to serve on the board of the World Sickle Cell Foundation, which is types of cancer, um, starting a company to research the sociocultural impact of technological advancement, created a science camp called Earth We Share for 12 to 16-year-olds all around the globe. That's cute. Yeah, and a website called Earth Online, which was a chat room for students to talk about their interests in science 24 hours a day. Neat. Yeah, but the coolest project of hers that I found is something called a 100-year starship. Huh, okay. Yep. So their mission statement, as found on 100yearstarship.org, is we believe that pursuing an extraordinary tomorrow will build a better world today. And the tomorrow that they are fostering in pursuit of is having a manned mission outside of the solar system. Ooh, that, I mean, that would be really cool. That would be some real Star Trek stuff. Yeah, and like, I'm just going to read off part of their purpose section now, since it does a really great job at conveying what this means today. People take very much for granted, but would loathe to surrender, the benefits space exploration has provided right here on Earth. Global positioning satellites, or GPS, remote sensing for water, minerals, and crop and land management, weather satellites, arms treaty verifications, high temperature, lightweight materials, revolutionary medical procedures and equipment, pagers, beepers, and televisions, and the internet in the remote areas of the world, geographic information systems, and algorithms used to handle huge complex data sets, physiological monitoring and miniaturization, atmospheric and ecological monitoring, and insight into our planet's geology and insight into our planet's geological history and future, and the list goes on. Also remarkable is the boom in other science and engineering fields, and the accompanying wave of social creativity, artistic expressions, and educational innovation that followed the Apollo missions and each successive leap into space exploration. Technologies created for and made possible by space exploration permeate, shape, and are an integral part of our world. Travel to the stars will require the development of revolutionary non-chemical technologies to generate, harness, control, and store enormous quantities of energy safely. Radical advancements in closed-loop life support systems and sustainable habitats, 
new insights into human development, health, behavior, and training, quantum leaps in agriculture, communication, and handling massive data sets, advances in robotics, automation, intelligence systems, and manufacturing techniques, as well as a deeper, robust understanding and innovative approaches to social structures. Education, economics and finance, legal frameworks, politics, and international collaboration. Programs to establish a human presence on Moon, Mars, or elsewhere in our solar system will be stepping stones to the stars. All capabilities needed to accomplish human interstellar travel are the same ones required for successful human survival. Wow. Yeah. That's so, a lot. So I, I, I really, I, I like this idea because like I've, I've mentioned it before that like, you know, stuff that we see on, uh, pe- people always say like, oh, Star Trek predicted that we were going to have cell phones and flip phones and they they predicted that we're going to have these things. And it's like, no, not really. It's some nerd watching Star Trek <laughs> decided they needed to make that thing reality. And that's yeah. kind of the the same mission as Hundred Year Starship is they want to they want to make everybody make make something capable of interstellar travel. So they're looking at everything that we need to do to get there. Yeah. So they're taking something fantastical and breaking it down into their smallest elements and trying to foster the science community in tackling these things because they have a whole list of things that they know they need to be able to have interstellar travel. Right. But we have to get those things first. Yeah. So what is the 100-year starship currently working on? Looking at their website, they support a whole array of K-12 through STEM education programs and materials. They're currently working with Scholastic to make accessible and reliable books about the prospect of space travel and how we need to critically think to make them possible. They're working on addressing the issue of interstellar travel and its effect on bone issues due to microgravity and also how microgravity affects our ability to heal. Hmm. They're hoping to create some form of lotion or injection that can promote rapid healing in space or on Earth. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, that go, feeds right back into their mission statement of everything that we need to move forward like promoting healing because you don't heal the same in space because your blood doesn't flow the same so everything that they need to do to promote space travel is something that can be used on earth today as well yeah so 100 year starship is also a key contributor to one of the largest science conferences the eu science global challenges global collaboration uh convention i think it's a ESGC2 is what it's kind of like acronymed as. Mm-hmm. Um, and my personal favorite is that they realize the impact has on science fiction, like I was mentioning earlier. Um, and they are also running a awards called the Canopus Awards, where people submit their science fiction stories to contribute to how we all think about interstellar challenges. Oh, cool. Yeah. A quote from Dr. Jamison reads, storytelling is essential to communicating and concretizing our, a vision. A story well told, fictional or non-fictional, pushes us to consider how, where, who, and why we advanced, stagnate, or regress. And I just, I can't agree with that more. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, very you, much. You know us, like, you know, we're podcasting, like, we're kind of telling stories here on this one, and then, you know, our, our other show, we tell fantastical stories. Yeah. <laughs> Half what's in filled crits, if you haven't gone to it yet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gotta plug it where we can. 
we actually just finished our um our campaign yeah. on that. So we're we're in a, a break waiting to get season two out to everybody. And by just finished, he means we finished it like last December. Last December, yep. But it's it's finished it's only airing. Just airing, yeah. Yeah, because we started airing episodes in January. So yeah. that was a good nine months. Anywho, back to this show. So I personally love everything that this organization stands for, even if it is admittedly (laughs) self-fantastical. And these fantasies power our progress, and it's beautiful to me. Um, Plenty of others seem to agree, like the SETI Institute that I talked about a few episodes ago. They are financial partners of the 100-year starship, as well as many universities, professors, doctors, scientists, journalists, and even the earlier mentioned in the episode nichelle nichols aka lieutenant uhura on star trek nice so she supports it financially as well that's awesome yeah kind of circling back (laughs) and speaking of star trek lavar burton uh learned that Mae jemison loves star trek and space and i mean obviously because she went to space and dr jemison was able to be part of an episode of star trek as well oh neat yeah he invited her to or either invited her her or pitched to um the the, the casting staff that yeah, she should be on. That's neat. Yeah, so she was she got to be on one episode. Um, honestly, just a feel-good story all around, and I had a lot of fun learning about Dr. Mae Jemison and all of her endeavors. Um, and she's also one of the women that was honored with a Lego of herself as part of the uh, Women of NASA set in 2017. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so super cool human. Yeah. And it... And she seems to be active on Twitter if you want to follow her. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's just at Mae Jemison. Perfect. Yep. So that's my story. Awesome. Cool. So on to the call to action? Yes. Cool. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History. You can support us on Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com forward slash Halfwit History. And you can visit our website at halfwit-history.com. Or send us an email at halfwitpod at gmail.com. Yeah, if you have any topic suggestions, recommendations, um, feedback, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Or, you know, if you just want to fangirl about Star Wars a little bit, or Star Trek. Any of them is applicable. All of the above, Lord of the Rings, also applicable. Oh, gosh, She-Ra. Um, what are some <laughs> of our other mild obsessions right now? Ooh, I love Little Witch Academia, but that has nothing to do with... Well, it has a little bit to do with space at the very end there. Everything having to do with Studio Trigger, Trigger. has a little bit to do with space. <laughs> Anything that starts as an anime and ends in space, Studio Trigger. Yep. Uh, and we love yeah. it all. I know that's yes. controversial in the anime community, but we love it all. I just like a good story. I don't care if you end up in space. I like a good story. So talk to us about anime, apparently, because we yeah. both love that. It sounds That sounds like what I'm saying. <laughs> I've been playing Genshin Impact, which just came out on PS4, <laughs> and it's basically like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild meets like a JRPG, which is a lot of fun, and it has like gotcha game elements, and I love it. He's just been running around this world as like six different little anime girls. <laughs> I have one guy in my party. Oh, no, I have two guys in my party. I just don't oh, use okay. the other guy. He's, he's not great. Oh. Yeah. It's okay. Anyway. <laughs> Talk to me about gotcha games then, too. We also yeah. played Dragalia Goss. Dragalia. <laughs> we also played Dragalia Lost religiously on our phones. Oh, gosh. All right. Moving on. Ah, fun facts. Fine. No, not fun facts. We need to thank the fisherman. Oh, so thank him. Okay. Them. Thank you to the fisherman for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find his link down in our show notes. Go Yay. check it out. 
Fun facts? Yes, please. Okay, go for it. All right. My fun fact for the day, actually, which is really funny, comes from the Would You Believe section of oh. our, of our, uh, our most reliable, well, not most reliable, most frequented source for our uh, events. Yeah, let's not give them most reliable. <laughs> I was going to say most reliable because for my week, like that work I'm researching now, there have been like three different things within like three days of the same event. And I'm like, um, two of these is wrong. I, Only one can be right. <laughs> they had the release date of Who Framed Roger Rabbit completely oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, was, I wrote a whole thing last year on Who Framed Roger Rabbit just to find out that it was really like a, a month later. No. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So my fun fact comes from September 7th, 1902. And would you believe that in Australia, the whole nation observes a, quote, day of humiliation and prays for rain as a terrible drought kills livestock and threatens crops. Rain then begins on September 10th. Oh. So, yeah, whole country basically, like, prays and, like, I don't know, like, humbles themselves for a day and then rain starts, like, two days later. Coincidence? Probably. Kylie's doing weird eyebrow things over there, so we're going to (laughs) go on to my fun fact now. So my fun fact is on September 9th of 1950, the first use of a TV laugh track is done by the Hank McCoon Show in the United States. And I just want to say, screw you, Hank McCoon Show. I think laugh tracks are the bane of television existence. He refuses to watch anything that has a laugh track. I can't do it. I can't do it. I used to do it when I was younger, and then I I ended up finding comedies that didn't have laugh tracks, and they're just superior. They're just just laugh tracks are the bane of television writing. Please stop using them ever. Literally don't notice them. So it's awful. I, I can't. I can't. Comedies shouldn't be tell you when that you have to laugh at them. All right, I you can get down off your soap soapbox now. I think no, I need it to. That's why I picked this one. It's not even a fun fact; it's an angry fact. Uh, Well, then it doesn't count. No, it's an angry (laughs) fact, and I needed to share it. I hate laugh tracks. All righty, all righty. I hope there's some director listening here who's like, "I'm going to put a laugh track in my show," and then they hear this and they go, "Oh, I shouldn't." (laughs) Anyways, okay. We're going to insert a laugh track like every like five seconds in this and see how you guys like it. Everyone will be on my side. I might cry. Everyone will be on on my side. They'll never listen to our show again. It's true, but I will have proven a point. Is that really the hill you want (laughs) to die on and ruin our podcast so you can prove a point? (laughs) 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 I'm just going to copy that like 10 times. and I'm going to throw something at you (laughs) from across the table. (laughs) Okay, well... Anyways, that's been our show. Thank you for listening. As always, I've been your halfwit. And I'm your historian. And we hope you listen next week. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.